0: Good morning, RCC. That was a slightly delayed. I think Chip, Chipley and Bluntstown were a little faster on that. I'm not sure, but it is great to see all of you, whether you're Chipley, Blunstown, or here in Mariana. And before we get started, I want to go ahead and address the elephant in the room. I've been asked about this a few times, and I feel like it's important just to, just to get this out of the way. Because I am from Kentucky, and I am wearing blue, but I tried not to wear Kentucky blue because I didn't want to trigger anybody over the football game yesterday. Um, if there are any Gator fans, I, I, listen, I wouldn't. People have asked me, are you going to bring the game up? And I said, no, that is not the loving thing to do. <clears throat> and besides, in Kentucky, we don't get excited when we beat a swim school three times in football. It's just not a big deal to us. So, um, also, and I've been told, and I don't know if this is true, but Chipley and Blunstown, if it is, I'm going to ask you to be praying for Dustin and Philip. I've been told they're Gator fans. I spent some time praying for him this morning, and this has never happened to me before, but I actually got a word from God for those two lead pastors. Um, It's the only time I'll ever prophesy, but he said, if you want to see great Gator football, watch watch Swamp Kings on Netflix again this year, and you'll be able to see it. I don't know if y'all are going to get it any other way. It's kind of crazy to see. Anyway, in all seriousness, um, it is great to be here. It's great to see a lot of you again, because I just saw so many of you last Sunday night uh, which was a blast. If you don't come to Evening of Visions here, I've never been to one before, but it's basically like a big family gathering. Uh, it was a lot of fun to get to be there. It's, it's a chance for, you know, as a church family, for y'all to come together and to celebrate things. So I, I got to have a lot of fun getting to sit in on that and just enjoy that from the side. And if you're wondering what I was doing there, if you weren't there, well, uh, they asked me to come in and help... Uh, celebrate Paul and Melody's 30th year in ministry here at RCC. So that was a blast to get to do and to celebrate this month uh, marks 30 years for them. I got back to Kentucky. Um, I made a quick trip in, quick trip back. I got back to Kentucky. A bunch of them knew what I'd been doing. So they said, hey, how did it go? And I told them, there is nothing more fun than surprising a Mennonite. You can't, you, you can't, Get that much fun with money. I'm just telling you, I'd never done that before, so I thought that was a blast. Um, Last week, Paul, in all seriousness, last week, Paul wrapped up the series you guys have been in, if you've been around here, and if you haven't, the series is called NAB Plan, and so he spent several weeks talking about what it looks like to have an adult starting point of faith. Uh, which is an important conversation to have. That's an important thing for all of us to do. And today is a bit of a bonus session, a bonus episode on that series, if you will, because I wanna take the next few minutes to dig a little deeper into one of the key qualities of any adult starting point of faith. We're gonna take the next few minutes to talk a little bit more about this idea of grace. And just to get us all on the same page, here's the definition of grace. Grace is the unearned, undeserved, unconditional love of God. In other words, to put it simply, grace is when you get something you absolutely do not deserve. This is one of the reasons, by the way, and I know this is naive, especially if you're not a church person or you had a bad experience, or you're not a Christian, you're not sure where you are in all this. I know this sounds naive, but this is one of the reasons why, I don't know why everybody wouldn't want Christianity to be true. Maybe you don't believe it's true, but I don't know why you wouldn't want it to be true. Not necessarily the version that maybe caused you to walk away, not necessarily the version that, didn't have answers to any of your questions or the version that uh, wouldn't address any of the objections you had, not necessarily the version that where you got hurt in church, you know, they did something and hurt your family, whatever that was, I, I get all that. None of us want that version to be true. I'm talking about the original version, the version that Jesus introduced to the world. I don't know why everybody wouldn't want that version of Christianity to be true because at the very core of that is this idea of grace. It's this idea of, oh my goodness, God wants to give us something we do not deserve. It's unearned, it's undeserved, but by golly, it is unconditional for all of us. And here's the thing that maybe you've never thought of or or reflected on when it comes to grace. Grace can only be experienced in relationships. So I can stand up here and talk about grace today it's not gonna change you personally. You can read about grace, it's not gonna change you personally. The only way you experience grace personally is through relationships. Relationships are the vehicle that convey and relay grace to any of us, which is exactly why Jesus came. Because God knew that. God knew, okay, I could send messages about my grace for people, but for them to actually experience it in a personal way that's powerful, I've gotta show up. I've gotta show up on the planet. I've gotta have a relationship with them. And I've got to communicate and demonstrate it directly to them. It was the whole point of Jesus being here. And yet, in spite of this idea of grace that I think we would all agree, it's what we want most, it's what we so often need, it's what we hope we experience from God, in spite of the fact that all of this is true, the reality is so many times, and maybe you can relate to this, so many times we find ourselves resisting grace. Why is that? Why would we resist accepting something that... We all know we need. Well, I think the answer lies in this. Have you ever, um, have you ever experienced being given a gift that you had a hard time taking? Uh, this has happened to a lot of us, I would imagine. What's the most difficult gift for you to receive? It's the one that you don't feel like you deserve, if you've ever had one of these moments, you know somebody's given you something and you've been like, oh, no, no, I couldn't possibly take that. And you started saying things like, that's just way too generous. That's way too extravagant. No, no, I don't deserve that. No, you don't. It's, it's, there's a sense in all of us that whenever somebody gives us something that's far beyond what we think we deserve, we begin to push back on it, even though it's an amazing thing that we would all love to have. I think that's what's at the heart of why so many of us at different points in our lives tend to resist grace. And so the only way for some of us to understand it's okay to accept something we don't deserve is to see it. It's really powerful when you watch somebody else who you know doesn't deserve something receive grace because then it begins to open the door to the possibility that maybe it's okay for me to receive it too. And if you grew up in church, there's some different ways you see this happen in people's lives. But one of the most powerful expressions of this, I think, is what we're gonna talk about today. It's this idea A baptism, a baptism. Now, baptism can be really, really confusing for people, and I think it's confusing for a couple reasons. One, the purpose of baptism is confusing. Depending on what kind of church you grew up in, if you grew up in church, It's really confusing because every church, every denomination tends to teach baptism a little differently, you know, where they practice it a little differently and they talk about its meaning a little differently. And so, you know, depending on how you're raised, it can be really confusing to understand the significance of it. But the practice, let's just be honest, the practice of baptism is also confusing. Matter of fact, it's just a bit strange. Like, where else do you see somebody? um, Dress up in a robe, or y'all are a lot more casual here, right? So it's shorts and a t-shirt, but get over in a, you know, in a thing of water and somebody says some spiritual sounding words and then boom, they just dunk them. I mean, it's kind of strange if you think about it. I mean, where else does that happen other than your pool? You know, it's like, I don't know how that got translated into church and suddenly it became spiritual. So I understand that it can be a bit confusing. But I don't, I think what's happened is we've lost the context somewhere. Because in the early days, the early followers of Jesus there in the first century, it was not confusing for them at all. This was something that they embraced really clearly. So obviously, we we missed some of the context. We missed something they understood. If you read the document that's called Acts, it's uh, it was written by Luke, who's a medical doctor, and it gives us a history of the early church. When you read that document, twenty seven different times, Luke tells us, in the early days of the church, an individual or group of people they would put their faith in Jesus, they'd begin following him, they would accept his grace, and they would choose to get baptized. And so it clearly was a common practice back then, um, but you look at it today and you're not exactly sure the meaning or the significance of it. I mean, even those of us who grew up in church, we know it's important, but if somebody were to say, well, explain why it's important, we can't always articulate it really well. So what I want to do today is take the next few minutes to try to give us all a little bit of context. So let me take you all the way back to the day that the first church got started. Oh uh, Peter, some of you heard of Peter, Peter and Andrew and Matthew, all those guys who were friends of Jesus. They're in Jerusalem, and um, there's a large crowd of people there in the city at the time. And Peter, if you remember this, he gathers a big crowd and he begins to explain to them that he watched Jesus crucified, and three days later Jesus walked out of a tomb, and he saw Jesus with his own eyes. And then he says, "Hey, there's a bunch of you know, there are about 500 of us who saw him at different points, and a lot of these eyewitnesses are here, so you can talk to them." And he begins to explain this was God in human flesh. And these Jewish people, so many of them decide in that moment, they're going to begin following Jesus. They're going to put their faith in him. And Luke tells us that when that happened, he describes it this way. He says, those who accepted the message Peter was explaining, they were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, why would they do that? I mean, why would they immediately be like, well, let's, let's take 3,000 of you and let's make sure all of you get baptized right now. Well, let me see if I can give you some context. And to do that, I need you to use your imagination, which will probably be easier for some of you than others. But play along with me for a minute, okay? I need you to imagine that you are a first-century businessman. Now, ladies, please be patient. You'll see in a minute, for the sake of this illustration, you gotta be a man. I know that's scary, but just imagine for a second, all right? You're a a first-century businessman who is operating, living in the Roman Empire, uh, let's imagine that your dad is Roman, your mother is Greek. So you grew up in a home with all the Roman and Greek gods, Zeus, Hades, Poseidon, you know, on and on and on. You've heard of all of them. So you grew up with all of that. Your family, if it was a normal family, your family probably wasn't really religious, but every now and then when things were going wrong or you felt like you needed to appease the gods, you know, you'd go and do something, offer a sacrifice, make a gift, whatever you needed to do. But that was about the extent of it. Like this wasn't a central part of your life. You just grew up being aware of all of these gods. And you're doing your business and things are going well. And for whatever reason, circumstances lead you to moving to Jerusalem with your family in order to do your business. And so when you get to Jerusalem, you're surrounded all of a sudden by all of these Jewish people. And it just seems so odd to you. They seem so strange to you. Because you've never seen people who believe like they believe and who live like they live and who value what they value. I mean, these Jewish people, they don't believe there's a pantheon of gods. They believe there's only one God that exists. That's it. And they say he's their God, you know, and so they worship him in their religion called Judaism. And it's really strange to you that they would, you know, limit everything to one God, but it's even more strange to you that they would be so devoted to a God who clearly was doing nothing for them because they're still under Roman oppression. So this gets your attention, you know, it's like, why are they so devoted to a God who doesn't seem to be helping them? And you begin to pay attention. And one of the things you notice as you're doing business with all these Jewish people is... You begin to notice the integrity they have because you haven't run into that anywhere else in the Roman Empire. But you don't have to worry about these Jewish people lying to you. You don't have to worry about them trying to cheat you. They just maintain their integrity and they say they do it as a way to honor God. And then you notice their family values, which again, you don't see that anywhere else. But these Jewish people, the the men honor their wives and they care about their children. It's just a totally different atmosphere. And after a period of time, you get so curious that you decide you're going to get a copy of their Jewish scriptures and you're going to begin to read them for yourself. And so you do, you start reading them. And the more you read them, the more intrigued you get by it. And eventually you get to the point where you say, you know what, I actually think I might want to follow and devote myself to the God of the Jews. And so you muster up enough courage one day when you're hanging out with your Jewish buddies that you bring this up and you say, you know, i and reading all this, is there any way for, this would be their term, for a Gentile, for a non-Jewish person, for a Gentile like me to follow a God like yours? And your buddies say, well, actually, there is a way, but you need to go talk to the priest for that. So you, you know, make an appointment, you go talk to the Jewish priest at the temple, and the priest says to you, actually, there is a way for you to convert, for you to become, you know, practice Judaism, for you to become Jewish in terms of your religion, But the priest tells you, in order to do that, you have to complete five steps, which will transform you, if you will, from Gentile to Jew. And the five steps that the Jewish priest would tell you are these. First of all, he would say, well, you need to be circumcised. And you would immediately think, Zeus is sounding better all the time. But I didn't know there was medical procedure involved in this. That seems a little harsh, but I'm here. Go ahead and tell me the other four. So then he says, okay, well, after that happens, you, you got to fully embrace and submit to the law of Moses, which would have been the Jewish scriptures. And you're thinking, well, that's not a big deal. I've been reading that, and I'm, I want to embrace that, so don't mind doing that. And then the priest would say, okay, number three, you've got to eat a covenant meal. You go, I like to eat, so that's not a big deal. Number four, you got to offer a temple sacrifice, and you've you've never been in the temple because as a Gentile, you can't get in the temple, but but you've heard about it and you know the process. It's gonna cost you a little bit of money to to buy something to offer this sacrifice, but, but that's okay, you can do that. And then the priest would look at you and say, and then finally, once you've completed these four steps, the last step in your transformation is you need to participate in a ritual washing. And here's how they would describe that to you. They would say, we want you to gather your family and friends and we want you to find a body of water and we want you to immerse yourself in the water and then come back up. You're like, what's the point of that? And they would say, well, this is symbolic because as you're going underwater, it is a symbol of the fact that you are choosing to let go of your Gentile past. And when you come up out of the water, it's a symbol of the fact that you are embracing your new Jewish identity. So they get done explaining all this to you and you're like, okay, well, this is awesome, Um, could you please write this down because I need to talk to my wife about this. You remember step one, I I definitely need to talk to my wife about this. So write all this down for me, let me go home, let me run this by her and we'll decide what we're gonna do. And so the priest starts to write it down, okay? Step one, step two, step three, step four. And then he gets to step five. And the Greek word he would write to describe the ritual washing would be this word. He writes down the word baptizo, which means to wash, dip, immerse, Or drown. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. Um, Some of you are stuck on the drown deal. I know, I know. It only happens rarely around here. Don't worry about it. The here's the thing you need to understand about this word baptizo. In first century culture, it was not a religious or theological term. This was a term that they threw around and used in everyday common language. For example, someone might say, "Hey." We baptizoed their battleship if they were in the middle of a, a sea battle, okay? We baptizoed their battleship. Or you might hear somebody say they're actually first century recipes that you can find that use this word. They're like, okay, we're trying to make some pickles. You need to baptizo the cucumbers in the vinegar. That's how they would describe it. Some of you today are going to go home and you're going to baptizo Oreos in milk. You didn't know what you were doing, but there you go, okay? This was just a common everyday term that you would use. There's nothing theological about it. That's what's important. So the priest would write down this word baptizo, right? You'd take it home and you'd have a conversation. You know, oh yeah, that means to, you know, I'm not gonna drown myself, but I'm gonna immerse or dip myself in some water, honey. And that's, that's gonna be the last step to symbolically tell all my family and friends, I've let go of my Gentile past. I'm adopting and embracing my new identity as a Jew. So on that first day when the church got started, When Luke tells us that Peter and his friends baptized 3,000 people who began to follow Jesus, all they're saying is, once those people accepted God's grace, they said, you know what, let's go find a body of water and let's dip or immerse you in water because we we want you to have a new identity. Now, why in the world would they do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because about 40 days earlier, as Jesus was leaving the earth, he looked at these same guys, and he gave them their marching orders. And some of you, you'll recognize this. He looked at them, and he said, here's what I want you to do when I leave. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, and here's our word. Then I want you, once, once they're following me, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So what Jesus did in this moment, this is so important, don't miss this. What Jesus did in this moment is he took a common, everyday Greek word, baptizo. And he took a Jewish ritual. You're a Gentile, you want to become a Jew? All the Jews knew about this process of a ritual washing. And he said, okay, I am co-opting that practice. From this point forward, I am redefining the meaning of this ritual washing. From this point forward, it's still symbolic, but it is symbolic of an entirely different thing. Baptism. Is now my public declaration of a new association with God's amazing grace. From this point forward, Jesus is going, you got to understand, when I died on a cross, I did something for you you couldn't do for yourself. I did something for you that you did not deserve. The ultimate act of grace was when I gave my life. I paid a debt you couldn't pay, I met a standard you couldn't meet, I wrote a check you couldn't write, I took care of your sin for you, is the ultimate act of grace. And three days later when I came back to life, it proved everything I said I did when I died for you, what was true. If you've ever wondered, why can we trust everything Jesus said? Well, you can trust everything he said because he rose from the dead. It all hinges on the resurrection. When he comes back to life, then he validates and gives credibility to everything he told us he was gonna do. So Jesus' point to them that day was, this is an extraordinary gift of grace I'm offering you. And when you accept it, I want you to be baptized as a symbol of the grace that you have experienced, as a symbol of the fact you are letting go of all your past sin, and you are embracing a brand new identity as a child of me when you come out of that water. Now, why in the world would Jesus want us to do that as a symbol? Well, I'll tell you why. Because when you experience God's grace, it is life-changing, but it is internal initially. It's life-changing But it happens in your heart. And the problem is nobody can see your heart, can they? Nobody can see your heart. So Jesus knew people need a visible, tangible, physical expression to let their friends, to let their family know about the impact, about the change that God's grace is making inside of them. This is why baptism, when you watch them here at RCC, they're often so personal. They feel so emotional to so many people. Not because something extraordinary is happening internally in that person, but because what's happened internally already with that person is getting expressed and celebrated externally with all of you. It's that person's way of saying, God's done something extraordinary inside of me. And I just wanna celebrate it with you. I wanna show you physically, I've let go of all my sin and I have embraced a brand new identity with Jesus. This is why the Apostle Paul He said, baptism is symbolic. Go under the water. It's as if you're dying to all your sin. You come out of the water, you're alive with Jesus and his grace again. So here's a question I would have for you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Let me tell you why I think it's so important if you haven't to consider it. Because there are some people in your life, some friends, some family members who They're just like maybe you were. They know about God's grace, they don't feel like they deserve it. They know about God's grace but they are resisting it because they feel like somehow they have to earn it, which doesn't work because it's unearned. So by very definition, the minute you think you've earned it, grace disappears, it's not grace anymore. But in order for them to be able to realize grace is for them, they don't have to earn it, they can just accept it. In order for them to do that personally, they need to see that you've done it personally. They need to understand, oh, there's, there's somebody I know didn't deserve it either, but clearly they've experienced it, so maybe I can too. And that is the beauty of baptism. It's your way to publicly declare and celebrate what God's grace has done inside of you. Some of you, over the last year, two years, you made a decision to follow Jesus. A lot of you have but you've never taken the step and it's probably because you just didn't understand it. You didn't know what the point was. But this is, this is why it's so important because God will use you and what he's doing in you to help make grace personal to someone around you. Some of you, you've been following Jesus a long time. Nobody ever explained to you, it's not your fault. Nobody ever explained to you why it was important. Or maybe you were baptized as an infant, which was extremely meaningful to your parents, but you don't remember it. It wasn't meaningful to you. And since you've made your own adult decision to follow Jesus, you've never taken the step to be baptized. So I just wanna invite you to explore that, if you haven't. To explore it because absolutely it'll be meaningful to you, but to explore it because the impact that it could have on the people around you, on the way God could use it to introduce his grace to people in your life. If you're interested, there's a really easy way to start the conversation. You can stop by the gallery at any of the campuses or you can open up the app and just go to connect with us and fill out that form and tell them you're interested in baptism. But it's an extraordinary expression of what God's grace has done in you and in me. And what I've seen over the years is it, It just makes grace personal to the people around us. It helps them to see that somebody like me who didn't deserve it, hadn't earned it, could still receive the unconditional love and forgiveness of God. And my guess is if you've never taken this step, there's some people in your life who would be a game changer if they saw you celebrate that yourself. I'm telling you, grace is why I don't know why everybody wouldn't want Christianity to be true. It's why I don't understand why, again, not not the version that, you know, hurts you or the version that shuns you, but the version Jesus introduced, a version where he said, "We have a God in heaven who loved us so much; he didn't leave us in our mess. He didn't lean away. He leaned in. He didn't show up here to." pay us back. He showed up to win us back. The version where Jesus said, I'm going to show up to make sure you experience grace personally because it can only happen in relationship and I want a relationship with you. I don't know why we all wouldn't want that version to be true because grace, it's what we need most. It's what we want most and it's what changes us most when we embrace it. So as we wrap up, if that's something that you're sitting there thinking, it's just not personal like that to me. I've never experienced that personally. I want to give you the opportunity to experience it. It's really simple. As I pray, you can just tell God, hey, Jesus, I'm I'm ready to receive your grace. I don't deserve it. But I've got enough humility to admit that. And I want to receive it. And the beauty of it is when you do that, Jesus says, that's all I need. He forgives you makes you a part of his family. And his grace will begin to change you just like it has so many of us. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for your grace. And sometimes if we're honest, we would admit um, some of us get too arrogant and we begin to think we deserve it. But we don't. We haven't earned it. It's a level playing field for all of us. We're all in the same need of it. So thanks for showing up and meeting us where we are and offering us exactly what we don't deserve. For those who've never taken the step to celebrate that publicly through baptism, would you just give them the courage to stop by the gallery, to go on the app, just start a conversation about that? Because what you're doing In their lives, the way grace is changing them, for their friends, for their family, for others to see that, it just might be the thing that those people need to experience grace personally themselves. And for those who've never experienced it personally, I just want to pause and say thank you then this moment, as they're choosing to embrace that, to accept that, that we know you give it freely. Jesus, your death and resurrection um, is the ultimate expression of grace for us. Help us to demonstrate that same grace to the people around us this week and help us never lose sight of the gratitude that we have for what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thank y'all so much for being with us. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a good week.